0: There is no Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10:30. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, we've the last few years we've kind of gone over different perspectives of the christmas story and i love the the different perspectives and and today we're going to kind of go into the innkeeper. and uh, but before we get there i do want to say that you know we're we're officially in the christmas season now i mean uh, i don't know about you i love this time of the year people gathering coming together having a lot of fun uh, parties uh, all the activities but most of all i love the fact that people are ready to talk about religious things more than any other time of the year, this and I, you know i'd say around easter but 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 more than any i th- I think it's the christmas season they're they're at least willing to open up and have that discussion and you can a lot you can learn a lot from where people come from, where their families are from and and the different traditions, what their backgrounds are and in fact our, our dinner the other night we sat around and we talked about, oh you know well where did you like come from? Where do you, I mean, you, you lived here in Tulare, then you moved off, you did this, you did that. We kind of just talked about it to get to know each other better. But for churches, this time of the year is where we tell the same story over and over again. Not a, not, not a bad way, not a, not a bad thing, because, I mean, it's good. But I also think, man, how can we look at this differently? And that's kind of how I went through the, the different perspectives this story has been pictured like no other picture before. This story has been painted, it's been linographed, it's been everything. And, and there's so many artists throughout the centuries that have, that have, you know, come up with their perception of the nativity. You find hundreds of pictures if you just type in nativity into your, into your browser uh, into your internet explorer or something, you, you'll just find all sorts of things from, from Botticelli's 15th century, uh, 15th century uh, painting here and, and different things that are, that are just kind of wild. I mean, they, they just kind of, you look at them and go, that's a nativity scene? I just don't get it. And it's their perspectives. It's just, you know, stuff is all over. And, and you really don't understand it unless you study the symbolism. And, and you know, part of me says, oh, I want to do that. And part of me says, that's just, that's just too much work. Yet, when I look at the paintings from the 14th and 15th century, the nativity scene is there. But here's a modern-day illustration, and I've shown this before, but I I love it. This is a modern-day illustration of the nativity. You can almost imagine the the art critic, you know, in New York or some some gallery, oh, wow, look at this, look at the symbolism It's unbelievable, you see the angels, you see, I mean, just going on and on about this. It's upside, (laughs) thank you, Mark, it's upside down. (laughs) Who would have known that? Not me. (laughs) You know, it just, it's just amazing. But then you go into the, how many of you grew up in the 60s? Or around, ever heard of the 60s? Okay, good, we got some hands. Interaction here, it's okay. You might remember a new type of art coming out in the 60s. It was called the minimalist. They would, they would literally take four different colors, you know, red, blue, green, yellow, and it would sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Or this piece from the 60s. Yeah, modern art. That thing's worth a lot. You can pick up an extra one down at Home Depot for four thirty-two. I mean, the world was crazy during the 60s. I mean, if you go back and look at history, you would think the 60s were, were the end-all of end-all and, and everybody was, you know, just going crazy. And that's not really true. I mean, San Francisco definitely was going crazy. The other parts were. But, I mean, for the most part, the United States wasn't all going that way. But a theological standpoint, we have really complicated the message of Jesus, haven't we? Man, we got so many different, uh, uh, you know, this church can't associate with that church down the street because this is what we believe and this is what they believe and, and just all this infighting. I, I was having a conversation with a young man the other night and, and we were talking about, um, and now my mind just goes blank, what were we talking about? Where'd he go? He's gone. He walked. Uh, Danny, what, what were it... We talked about a whole bunch of different things. But just the church fighting and, and baptisms and what different people believe and, and, and why this and why that. Did this actually happen or not? What, is the, what do theologians believe? And, and it boiled right down to it is some things we just know, it's outright, you know, just we read it in the Bible and it's totally clear. And other things it's like not, oh, well, once saved, always saved. You know, Southern Baptist, once saved, always saved. I grew up like that. And then you get the other, well, I read some passages in the Bible, that you can lose your faith. Now, this is a whole larger discussion, okay? But you can find scriptures on both sides of those to back up what you believe or what you want to believe. We'll go into that someday. I'll just leave that alone right now. (laughs) But this whole idea of we complicated this world, and I think God is a minimalist in, in, in one sense. God brought it back down to the point that matters, and what was that point? I started thinking about this as we got into the Christmas season. And, you know, God strips away all the glory. God strips away all the majesty. God strips away, the, you know, everything and brings it down to a little baby. A little baby in a manger. He brings it down to that. And I think it's good that we have this season Because every chance we get this season, we need to be talking about one thing, and that is baby Jesus. Every chance we get, we need to be talking about Jesus Christ. The reason for this time of the year. The building block of all mercy, of all grace, of every need that we have that he meets, it all boils down to Jesus. But I also realize another thing it really matters nothing unless we interact with it. Unless you and I interact with Jesus, unless you and I have a relationship that that starts out with the foundation of who He is and we start communicating and, and, and to build that, it really means nothing. So how do we respond at this time of the year? How does He touch us? That is when it has meaning. Today I want to kind of go into to a person that, who did not in, interact, who forgot what it meant to be human in one sense, to, to help people out, to, you know, I, I, New York just had the big storm, I got a cousin that lives up in, uh, I think, Fishkill, New York, and, and that area, wouldn't you love to live in a town called Fishkill? I know, I know. But, I mean, you know, just with, with all the storm, you know, just ravaged the area and people really helping people out, then you have some stories of how people didn't help each other out. And they forget what it means to be, you know, part of, part of humanity. Let's, let's start in Luke chapter 2. It says, that in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a, a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quinarius was governor of Syria, uh, Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of David and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for a baby to be born, and she gave birth She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in what we always call swaddling clothes. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So here's the situation. You have Luke, who is quite a historian, a guy that just, I mean, the way he writes is is just phenomenal. One day we'll go through the book of Luke. It'll probably take us about a year and a half to get through that book uh, from a teaching standpoint. But Luke is the book to study for all the little details. It began in the time of Caesar Augustus. And Octavian, you know, he's the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And, and for those history buffs, Randy, yeah. those history buffs, I love history. But you might remember that he, you know, he, Octavius sided with Mark Anthony in a civil war against Brutus and, and Cassius. And during this time, they won and Mark Anthony was, was put in charge. And he helped put Rome under one control, one governmental control, and ultimately one man control, but one, you know, they they finally just consolidated everybody. And everything was great until what happened? Well, he goes off to Egypt to be with Cleopatra. So he takes off and and spends way too much time with Cleopatra, and another civil war ensues, and and Octavian beats, you know, Mark Antony. And the Romans come to him and say, no more war. We do not want w- war. And Octavian becomes the first emperor of Rome. Now you're probably thinking, why is this important? Why are we going back to high school history class? Well, this started out in 31 BC. And he ruled for 45 years. So this is the beginning of where Christ enters into the picture of the world when it comes to the, you know, his earthly history. And out of all the the Caesars, he had the most power. And for 45 years, he is the the most powerful man there is, and there is peace. But he's also the first to say, we really need to know who is in our empire. So we can tax them, of course, because we want money, because we're the government. But we need to know who's there. And, you know, right now America is in the whole tax debate and, and the borders debate. Who, who comes across, who doesn't come across our borders? You know, all those type of things. How do we control them? Well, this was the same for the Romans. Octavian was the first to order a census. So everyone would return to their ancestral home, you know, their town that their ancestors came from. So everyone had a, a place to go back to. For Lisa and I, this would not be, you know, going to the Bay Area this would not be going to Nebraska or even Texas. This would go, be going back to where my family's history was. Uh, you know, here in America, that started in Oklahoma or, or really before they went to Oklahoma. They'd be finding out where they were and going back there. So for all the people in Rome, they're traveling all over the place to their ancestral homes. Joseph and Mary were, tattle, uh, were traveling to this little town and they are going to answer questions. Who are you married to? How many kids do you have? How many kids live with you? Where do you live now? How much money do you make? Because we want you to pay taxes on that. All these questions. And in the historical records, we actually know that Rome did this every 14 years between 20 A.D. and 270 A.D. That's a fact. So if you do the math backwards, you will come up with 8 B.C. that this happened for the census of uh, where Mary and Joseph, uh, where they would have gone and answered these questions. Now you have Herod the Great that died in 4 B.C., and that's another historical fact. So you have the Roman emperor, and then you have Herod. What does Herod control? He controls what we call the biblical world. He's the guy who ordered all the kids to be killed because he heard a new king was born. So if Herod died in 4 B.C., and we know that Christ was born between 4 and 10 B.C. because the calendars are actually messed up. And he wasn't born in 0 B.C. or 1 B.C. He was born, you know, before that. So it fits nicely, in a sense, into to where the census would have been taken. So, so Jesus was born, what, eight years before Christ, as they would say. So at this point, everyone would have been traveling. It would have been crazy. Much like you know, you know, we just had Thanksgiving, and, and you had millions of people traveling all over the United States, and you know, and they lived in this little town of Nazareth, that's not even mentioned in the Old Testament, and their hometown they're traveling to is Bethlehem. Think of it as a nice suburb of of Jerusalem. In fact, you can you can stand on the borders of the of the city of Jerusalem, and you can look out um, down into a valley and over to another hill, and that's where Bethlehem is. And right now, you, you can go over there. It's more difficult. To, the tours don't like to, to take it because it's Muslim-controlled. But you can get in a taxi and go over there. I wouldn't recommend it. And it's famous for one thing. It's famous for one king, King David. King David lived there in Bethlehem. So this is why Joseph and Mary were headed back there. This was a three-day journey for them. And Now imagine Mary being nine months pregnant and riding on a donkey. My wife would have killed me if I would have tried that. Joseph had to be struggling with all of this. I mean, Mary, the the woman he is supposed to marry, and and, and she's pregnant, and dealing with all the emotions of going through that, Joseph had to be struggling. An angel comes to him and he says, Don't be afraid. Everything is going to be all right. It's okay. God is in the middle of this. There's been a great blessing that has come upon you. Don't worry about it. And now, nine months later, you find yourself loading up on a donkey. I wonder what the conversation with God was like. You know, you you ever have those out loud conversations with God? I do sometimes. God, you said not to worry. (laughs) You said not be afraid. but, But look at this. Look at us, we got a donkey, we're having to travel right now. Have you forgotten us? Why at this time? I mean, couldn't you wait just a, a, you know, a month, a lousy month, God? I mean, then we'd have the baby. Imagine the frustration. On one hand, you, you remember the powerful angel, you remember nine months back the angel coming to you and saying, don't be afraid. And then on the other hand, the reality hits. You've got to either not be afraid or be afraid. You, you've got to make that choice. And you start to feel all alone. God has this incredible blessing for your life. Yet your life experiences seem to be a nasty, difficult situation. Does anybody relate to this at all? You feel like, man, you you become a Christian and God has this incredible blessing for your life. And then as you start living that Christian life, man, you get in these nasty, difficult situations. They understand that this baby is important, and you hold on to the promise that God has given you, and all you have is trust. I can ha- I could imagine the, the conversation Mary had with God, or that God had with Mary. Mary, I, I know you want your friends to be around. I know you want your family to be around. And then Joseph's coming to her going, but God knows better. We're going to travel on a donkey. What, what's that, Mary? Y- yes, I, I said a donkey. I, I know you're nine months pregnant. Now, now, God is in control. Now, Mary, get on the donkey no no mary i'll help you get on the donkey god is in control and joseph knew this god has a bigger plan here he tells them i will protect you and right now it's not about your comfort i'll protect you but right now it's not comfort and that is really one of the keys we think of god you know we think that following god is full of blessings which we like to translate in our own mind comfort don't we You blessed me with this car. Now, could I have a better car? Could I have one that has this, that, and all the other lovable gadgets that we have? It's not about comfort. It's not about making our lives better. For Joseph, and, and, and when I say better, I'm talking about materialistic better. For Joseph and Mary, it's about a divine plan and the glory of God. And if God has to move hundreds of thousands of people around, he was going to do that. Because 700 years before this, he told Micah the prophet that the Messiah was going to be born in a town called Bethlehem. So guys, get on the donkey because I need you to go to Bethlehem because that's where this child is going to be born. Because that's where I said it was going to be born. I need you there because this, you know, what I say is truth. What I say is just. What I say needs to happen. And if I have to move millions of people, I will. See, this is God's divine plan and it was not going to be broken. This was God's plan and people were not going to mess it up. His son was going to be born. It may not work out the way we thought it would because it's not about our comfort it's about god's truth and the sanctity of his promise now to the innkeeper. did you know that nowhere in the bible does it say that jesus was born in a stable where do we get this idea from well botticelli and all these other painters In fact, the only place that we get the idea that animals were around is in verse 6 and 7 of Luke 2. And it says, while they were there, there came a time for a baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. We kind of get this idea of, well, I mean, if there was a manger there, there must have been animals. So in all our little, uh, you know, you go get the nativity scene, what do you get? Well, you you get Mary and Joseph and, and the baby in some type of manger, right? And, and what else? Animals, the three kings, right? Well, the three kings actually come two years later, but, but, but that's beside the point. If it's nicely into our idea of what the manger scene. Now, I'm not, I'm not against all the manger scenes. In fact, I collect different ones. Uh, so I'm not like, well, I'm going to take the three kings away. You know, I'm not like that. I know, it's just the way my mind works but we get this idea that it was, it was all this way, and it's this, this American standpoint, what does this look like? Now, really, there's kind of two possibilities from our Western culture. We view this like an old Western town, and you've got the little barn with the little manger, or a little house on the prairie. You know, the nice flowing grounds and the house out there and the manger right next to it, you know, the barn next to it, and that's where they went into but in fact, a, a manger during that time would have been made out of what? Stone. In fact, here's a picture of one. This is looking over the, the uh, valley of uh, uh, Armageddon, or Har Megiddo, as they say. It's up on a mountaintop. A whole bunch of these. This is where the stables were on this particular place. The carpenter back then was actually a stonemason, for the most part. There was some wood, but not a lot. They had olive wood and stuff, but but we, you know, anytime they worked with wood, they had to had to bring that in from Tyre, which was up north, in modern day what we call Lebanon. There was a lot of rock, a lot of volcanic rock. One day we go to Israel again; uh, you can go see for yourself. But so many of these homes were were carved in the hilly hillside you know, all these hills, and they would just kind of go in and carve out uh, in the stone and make a house for themselves. Here's a painting from the 15th century. It's more, more in line of what they may think it, it looked like. You would carve it out for the safety of your animals. It's more like a side room on the house. They would have built, a, you know, a home with pen for the animals on the side, but think about, it. it's the time of the year. I mean, this is like, like NASCAR showing up in town. This is like the biggest celebration, the biggest parade ever happening, and everybody's flooding into town because people are, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are moving around going to their ancestral home. This is just crazy. So all the hotel rooms are taken up. There's no rooms left. Now there's no laws about how much you can charge for a room, so you can imagine the prices is going way up. Hotels are full, prices are up. The innkeepers are thinking, this is great. Man, I'm making more money today than I made all year. This month, man, this is going to tide me over for a couple of years now. I mean, that's where my focus would be on if our town was just flooded. The innkeeper wanted to be comfortable, and this is really where our focus is today. We want to be comfortable. And in one sense, that's okay, as long as we stay within the boundaries that are set up for us within the Lord. But what is interesting here is the innkeeper is missing something. He's missing the Messiah. The king of not only this world, but the king of the universe who showed up at their doorstep. The Lord of glory has shown up. And because he's focused on money, he's missing it. If you knew that God was showing up in your house, what would you do? Well, you would say, go down to the neighbor's house. they got a better house. But if he's like, no, I want to stay in your house, man, you're, going, you're cleaning out all your closets in your bedroom. You're cleaning, out, you're cleaning your bedroom totally, and you're going to put God in there, aren't you? Man, God has shown up. Never mind that this woman is nine months pregnant, who have traveled over 100 miles on a donkey over three days, Never mind, out of basic human decency, you should be, you know, give this woman a room. She's pregnant, come on. But he's missing the blessing of the Messiah being born at his inn. So they had to go out and find their lodging. And the most likely, a family saw them and took pity on them and said, the only place we have is a side room off our house well, what is this little room? Well, every good Jewish family had this little, you know, had to have this little sheep. And you ask, well, why did... Well, every year they had to sacrifice a lamb. And they were supposed to keep the sheep with them at their house. It was sacrificed for their sins. And if you were Jewish, you would raise this little lamb and you would make sure that you would protect it. If you had kids, you know, they would probably get to know the lamb and they'd probably name the lamb... You would keep this little lamb really close to the house because if there was an imperfection found on him, you couldn't use it for the sacrifice. So right on the side of the house, they would have this little room for them. And this is most likely where, where Joseph and Mary ended up. It's not where they wanted to be. It was not even in a bed. God, is this what you had for us? I took her as my wife just like you asked me to. I traveled just like you told me you wanted me to. What now, Lord? And this innkeeper, he's focused on the wrong thing. Instead of helping others, instead of helping fellow Jews, he's missing the blessing of Jesus being born in his inn. And he's rejected them. Now, over the past several years, we've been seeing in the news, especially you know, Thanksgiving, now it's turned into, into almost the day before Thanksgiving because all the stores are opening Thanksgiving night that, you know, people are starting family traditions where they go and camp out in front of stores and people bring their Thanksgiving meal down and they actually have their Thanksgiving meal in front of Best Buy or wherever it is. I know, nuts. Just so they can get in the front of the line. Now, do you think they're focused on the wrong things in this world? What gifts are you going to get this Christmas, or do you want? I mean, it's our gift-giving season, right? And I've said this quote before, and I love it. John Stewart on The Daily Show said this a few years ago. Early shopping results are in, and it's still too early to tell if we bought enough, uh, bought enough to make Jesus happy. I mean, wow, did he get that right or right? I mean... Let's not forget what this season is truly about. Don't get, you know, don't get caught up in all the hubbub and, and forget what it's about because we need to remember what we're here to celebrate. This way, when Jesus shows up at our doorstep, I don't turn him away. I don't say, oh, sorry, we're all full here. I pray that we do not end up like the doorkeeper. That when we think the way we talk, the things that we we start to do with our hands and our feet, how we do things, how we act, reflects on what we believe. We need to focus on the one true thing and what is that? The baby Jesus. That is the one true thing. Not the money and not the gifts, which, hey, I'm not knocking. I'm going to be giving gifts this Christmas. I'm probably going to receive some gifts. Hopefully, I, I gave my list to my wife. Okay, not really. But during all the excitement, during all the shopping and the decorating and the gift-getting and the receiving gifts, we need to strip it down and become a minimalist. Strip everything down to, to the reason we celebrate this season. In Philippians 2, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus Exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names. The name that at that name of, sorry, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God, or to the glory of God the Father. What Paul is telling us is that from the dawn of time, God has existed in three forms. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And from the dawn of time, Jesus Christ has existed, being in the very nature God Himself. Some people try to say that Jesus, you know, was a great guy who did, you know, did really great things. You know, that... When they do that, they ignore the other part, that he was also born as God, fully man and fully God. He was from the very beginning the nature of God. He let it all go to be with us. He already had all the power. He didn't need any more power. He didn't die on the cross to gain power. He died on the cross to gain what? A relationship with us. Because before that, he couldn't really have a relationship with us because our sin precluded us from being with him. But now that sin is paid for so we can have that relationship. He was born as God for us, he made himself nothing. The little baby who had to be fed by mom, made into human likeness, that's almost an insult made into human likeness. He willingly gave up the majesty and all the honor and all the glory and all the might and all the power, and he humbled himself. Jesus Christ was placed in the womb of Mary, was born in the likeness of man, and pulled off the impossible. He became blameless. How did he do this? He did not have a sin nature. And that's the difference between us and him. He didn't have the sin nature, but he chose not to use his own power and he lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. The devil tempted him just like the devil tempts us. If you're hungry, turn the this, this stone in the bread. Jesus had the power to do that. He didn't do it. Just call up the angels. Just jump off the, the corner of the temple. You won't go splat down there because the angels will catch you. But he willingly gave up this power to break the power of evil. And He did this when the little baby ended up on the cross. I wonder if the innkeeper ever recognized Him for who He was. Because if we strip everything away, God became man. But none of it matters if we don't interact with God. The season is great fuzzy feelings, but it doesn't matter if we don't interact with Jesus. It's just a wonderful story see he gave up the glory to give it to us so that one day he could buy our freedom and if he's willing to do this how much more do you think he's willing to take care of us to take care of our needs or do we get stuck with the joseph and mary syndrome i'm here now lord what we traveled all this way what do you want where are you lord but instead our attitude ought to be that of Jesus Christ, a servant. That's what the Christmas story is all about. Don't miss when Jesus shows up at your doorstep. I love this picture, and I've said this over the years, but I love this picture. I love all the interactions, the way that people are leaning in, the way people are looking at each other just in amazement. This artist, I think, just captured what that scene would be be about. They're not figurines on a table. People are reaching, reaching for the Lord. They're happy because they're interacting with the Savior of the world. Don't forget to interact with the Savior this season. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we look like these people this season. These people that are in this painting. The excitement that's in our eyes. The amazement that's around. That when we go interact with people around in in our neighborhoods, in the stores, in our job, that they start to see something different in us. And they ask, Where does your joy come from? And we can tell them our joy comes from that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And I have a relationship with him. Let me tell you about it. And that, that you would soften the people, that you would open up the doors for us to be able to share what you've done in our life. Knowing that we aren't perfect, we're still sinners, but you accept us because you died for our sins, and we believe that you did that. Now, the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine down upon you. They're in the season of Christmas lights. May His light shine in your life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.